Welcome to The Hidden Truth, Breaking the Silence. I'm your host, Jonathan McLernan. Each episode, we explore stories of individuals and how they've been affected by being a part of a secretive Christian fellowship. The stories shared here may include speaking about sensitive topics suited for a mature audience. Dysfunction happens when doctrine meets dogma and silence is paramount. So let's pull back the veil on today's episode of The Hidden Truth. All right, welcome back to the show today. I'm very excited. I always say the expression, but I mean, I always, um, I always feel excited that someone is willing to come forward and to share their story. In, in, first of all, to help shed a light on the issues that have been plaguing this fellowship, but also to give other survivors hope as well. And it takes tremendous courage to come forward and, and share stories. So, uh, Dale, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And so um, to kind of lay the background for for your story here, if you could just share a little bit about your experience with fellowship in terms of uh, born and raised and and what that was like for you growing up. So I was um, born and raised in the truth. Um, I'm one of six children in um, my on my father's side, I'm third generation in the truth and on my mom's side, fourth generation. So a very deep history of being part of this fellowship. Um, I professed at 11 years old, baptized at 12, and um, it was just, you know, expected, basically. Um, (laughs) And we grew up, um, my parents always provided for us. We we never felt um, that we didn't have what we needed. but it was, we never had any conversation. Um, you know, it was children to be seen and not heard. Um, what parents say goes and what the workers say trumps that. Right. Um, so, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever the workers say, whatever they want you to do, whatever you hear from the platform, that is the truth. Right. And, yeah. and you don't question it. Mm-mm. And where, where was it that you grew up? I grew up in Denver, Colorado. Okay. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Um, when you think about like the different, uh, and, and why I ask that is because I think maybe in different areas, there's, you, you know, we have this idea that, that like this fellowship is sort of uniform across the globe, and it turns out it's not even uniform across various states and provinces. Right. Yes. And, and so um, you grew up, I guess, um, in the six seventies, sixties, seventies there. Sixties. I was born in 58 or 56. Okay. So yeah, sixties and seventies, yes, mm-hmm. right. Okay, and I think one of the one of the things that put within this fellowship, like uh, Denver or or Colorado, on the map, was their stance in around the divorce and remarriage issue. But was that ever discussed back then, or was this something that came about later? Um, when I was young, it was never discussed. As um, probably didn't really hear a lot about it until I was in my twenties. Okay, um, several yeah. several couples moved from Colorado to Minnesota where it was more acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, Colorado had a pretty strong stance on uh, the marriage and divorce issue. Right. Right. And so for yourself growing up um, and you, you mentioned you, you professed at 11 um, and there's kind of this expectation that that was, that was what you were to do. Um, if you can recall, you know, where was your kind of personal belief at in around God at, at that age? I mean, did you genuinely believe in in what you were doing when you professed or were you doing it kind of out of obligation or maybe a mixture of the two? I would say it was 
I mean, look back on it, looking back on it now, I would say it was obligation. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, I didn't necessarily feel that, you know, this is what I had to do. It was, this is just what you do. <laughs> mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't anything that was, that was forced on me. Um, and of course my parents were thrilled <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. That, that I professed at a, you know, a young age and, mm -hmm. um, but I don't, I don't remember having a, a very deep relationship connection with God. I, mm -hmm. I, um, yeah, it was just kind of this, this starting out thing. It was, it was with, within the fellowship as a whole, there's this expectation that around this, this age is kind of, mm -hmm. this is, this is the next step that you take as such to indicate, you know, um, and then, and of course parents are happy because they feel, okay, well now, in, you know, um, you're, you're safe because you've, and, and maybe you were, they thought you were before, but now you've taken the step. It's, you know, you feel like right. it's kind of confirmed. Mm -hmm. And now it was around this age, if I understand that you were also, you, you experienced abuse. Right. Um, if you could share just a little bit about um, what, what kind of took place and, and a little bit of maybe background to that, whatever you're comfortable sharing. Sure. Um, yeah. Herb, Herb Erickson. Um, was my abuser. Um, okay. and he was newly married. He had been in the work, um, in Washington state, um, had been moved from field to field because of his, um, because he was a predator. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, um, Thorold Sylvester was the overseer at the time. And what I found out later after posting my story is that I was contacted by several men in Washington state that were abused by Herb. And, um, they, their parent, their dads, there was four of them. Mm -hmm. And those four men went and confronted their old Sylvester. And that's when Herb was asked to leave the work. So mm -hmm. that would have been in, um, 68. Okay. Um, and then they got married. He got married right soon after leaving the work and then moved okay. to Colorado. And so he, he'd been asked to leave the work because of the abuse. And, and this is in 68, of course, it's pre-internet and all this kind of stuff. And so maybe word didn't travel right. as extensively. D were you aware of, or were there any whispers around? I mean, I guess you were a child. I mean, when you're looking back, were your parents aware that there were whispers around his behavior and why he had left the work and gotten married? No, the, the, the reason that he, that we had, and I didn't, I didn't know this as a child, but, of course, yeah. Uh, finding out later the reason that they moved to Colorado is because he his health um, could not he had depression, and mm -hmm. so the dark, um, rainy, cloudy Seattle or Washington weather was not good for him. So he moved mm -hmm. to Colorado mm -hmm. where there was more sunshine. Right. Yeah. Um, and I I didn't know that at the time. I am. I found this out later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so he, he moves there. He's, he's now, now married, uh, new, kind of new married couple in, in town, I guess. Um, did, mm -hmm. were you in like a fellowship gathering with him, like a regular Sunday morning meeting or how did you first encounter, uh, Herb? No, my, um, we did not go to meeting with him at all through the whole time in Denver. Um, my parents invited him to, to our house. Mm -hmm. Um, that's how we first connected with them. And so, um, the whole grooming process basically started with my parents. Right. So he, he began the grooming process, you know, they'd invite him to dinner. Um, and th that's when it all started. 
Um, mm-hmm. He groomed them until they were comfortable with letting their children go with him. Okay. And, um, and so that's, that's how the process all started. Um, at first it included my sister. Um, and then it included my younger sister, my younger brother. Um, and then pretty soon the sisters were out of the picture and it was just the two boys. And then pretty soon it was just me. So it it was a grooming process and I can't, um, there's so much about that time that I can't, uh, remember. In fact, my Mm -hmm. sisters talking with my sisters about it now, um, they bring up stuff that it's just not even in my memory. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah. Uh, just a, a really important thing to to point out is that like one of the ways that we protect ourselves from the trauma that we experience is to kind of block it out from our conscious our conscious memory. Right. And so, um, do you do you uh, have memories of like him coming over at dinner and uh, prior to him isolating you? Like, uh, you know, was did did he seem like a friendly, nice guy kind of thing? Was there any sort of you know red flags that you felt like around him, or or what was that like for you? Um, no, I, I didn't see any kind of red flags. I really don't even remember, you know, we had, mom was very social. We had a lot of people in Mm -hmm. our house. Um, so it was, it was just one of the things that we did was we entertained. And, um, Mm -hmm. so for them to come over to dinner, it was nothing, um, extraordinary. Um, Right. Right. And, and so, no, I didn't. I didn't see any red flags. And then, you know, later on, because my parents liked them, um, you know, I just, I didn't, there was nothing that caused me to have any kind of bad feelings at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you're, you're 11, 12 years old, 11 years old, kind of at this time. Um, and we as children, rely fairly heavily on the adults in our life for some sense of direction around if somebody is is safe or not. And so, you know, seeing, seeing your parents and how they interacted with him would lead you to conclude, well, if your parents trust this man, he's trustworthy. And so he then starts uh, taking you and your siblings out. And where would he, where would he take you? Do you recall that? Yeah, we went to, to gospel meetings and usually they were a distance from, from Denver. Um, mm-hmm. you know, some of the, some of the workers had meetings out on the kind of the Eastern Plains, just East of Denver where there mm-hmm. weren't a lot of friends. And so the gospel meetings were very small. And so, you know, Denver friends went out there, you know, to kind of mm-hmm. show support and to add a few numbers to the, <laughs> to the meetings. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we did that. Um, he would take us children, uh, in his Volkswagen bus, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um out there to those gospel meetings and and same with special meetings out in those outlying areas. Mm-hmm. Um and probably no more than you know an hour or so from from Denver, so it wasn't a long distance, but it mm-hmm. it was definitely a chance to be isolated with these kids. Right. And, right. and to develop some kind of friendship, I guess. Right. Some some kind of rapport. Mm-hmm. In, in around the, the the grooming process, and so right. uh, for for whatever reason, your your parents wouldn't attend these gospel meetings. But he would, if I understand correctly, he would he would come and say, "I'll take I'll take the kids to this gospel meeting." It's like, great, the kids are out of our hair. You know, six kids are a handful. Thanks for giving us a bit of a breather. Right. 
Yeah, because I I was you know eleven years old. I had a my the youngest was my brother, which would have been a year old, mm-hmm. and then I had a sister wow. that was two years old, and another one mm-hmm. that was five years old, and so, um, yeah, it was a chance to, um, have the older kids go do something. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I, I guess I kind of sardonically smile at the irony of that, right? Let's, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but, but that, that that was kind of what was done in a sense, and it's like, okay, uh, he, he's a good man. He's taken us off, you know, he's taken our kids off our hands. Your parents are thinking, and and so on. Um, and are are you the oldest of six? Did I understand that, or where were you in line? I'm second. I have an older sister. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so is your older sister yourself, and your the next brother in line? Yes, and then occasionally my sister, which would have been fourth in line, she would have been um, four years younger than me. So yep. she would have been eight, seven, okay. eight-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay. she, went, she went a few times. And, th- and right. th- looking back on it now, that was also part of the grooming process to include my sisters to mm-hmm. kind of make things okay. Uh, right, and, yeah. And then the other piece of this, too, was was he was a worker. And, yeah, he'd be you know, a worker. He yeah. was, we never knew or understood or I don't know who knew. I don't know if the overseer in Colorado knew if they're all, you know, prefaced it with a letter that, you know, this is what this guy's done. I, yeah. I don't know that. Right. Um, and, but there's, you know, there were six overseers in my lifetime from when this, when Theral removed him from the work um, until he passed away, there were six overseers that mm-hmm. were silent. Yeah. Um, do you remember, uh, do you remember the names of the overseers? Uh, like the, who, who your overseer was at that time? Maybe you didn't know as a kid, but, uh, um, Ed Cornock would have been an overseer and I, I don't know exactly if he was still overseer in 68 or not. I believe he was mm-hmm. because he okay. was, he was still overseer. He was very old. Um, um, and he, he didn't travel much. He stayed kind of on the Denver convention grounds. Yeah. Uh, most of the time at that time. Um, but, you know, my friends had cars and stuff at the time. So that I would have been 15, 16. So, and he was still around then very old. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, Garrett Hughes um, came after Ed um, to be overseer then. And then after mm-hmm. Garrett, it was Leslie White. Um, There's another notorious name. Yep. And then uh, Jim Price mm-hmm. was after Leslie, and then Titus Lehman. Yeah. Um, and then I've heard that he's been um, sent somewhere because he Minnesota, was sympath- currently. sympathetic to um, some survivors. Mm-hmm. And now Jim Price is um, overseer again in Colorado. Okay. And, and uh, so going back to – so, so there was the grooming process of taking you and your siblings to gospel meetings to earn some trust. You know, mm-hmm. hey, we had a great time. You know, it was lots of fun. You know, uh, in, in the van rides, I don't know, was he? Did he tell stories, sing songs, or anything, uh, anything like that? Like, I remember singing songs. Yeah, 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 yeah. So kind of, kind of trying to make it, make it a fun thing. Yes. Um, and then at some point, uh, it's he's just going to take the boys. And I don't know if you recall, did he, did he say why he was excluding your sisters? No, no, no. And, uh, no. And he would, he would take, um, 
he worked nights um, at a bank, and I don't remember what the bank was. Um, but right. he did did some sort of computer. Uh, I mean, these big reel to reel tape. <laughs> tape yeah, yeah. Things he would change those out. I guess they backed up their data on those at at some point, and uh, so he would change those out and and back up all the data, and and so we would go to work with him. Uh, in you know, I don't know what I don't remember what time we went to work, but it was dark. Yeah. Um, and then he would get done with work, and then we he would go to the apartment, and that's where the abuse started. Okay. Yeah. So, so the God, it didn't happen necessarily going to and from gossiping, but that was just no. part of laying the groundwork that this is a godly man. Yes. Um, he cares about your children, brings them to gospel meetings. Right. Um, they, they have a good time in the van. Okay. Now I'll bring, did he bring your, any of your brothers to, to work as well to kind of show them or was it just you he was bringing? There were a number of times that my brother and I were together mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and that part is kind of foggy. I, I think Kind of what I remember, if my brother and I were together, he took us home right after work. Right, but okay. Once in a while, I would go by myself, and then that's when we went back to the apartment. Right, okay. Um, and, and do you have any any recollection of the the time frame from the time that like he first started grooming to uh, when he got to the place where he's taking you alone to the apartment? You know, I, I, I don't remember that. And I've, I've asked my sisters too, and they, I know some of the, going to some of the special meetings, the gospel meetings, it was, it was cold. So it would have mm -hmm. been maybe early in the, in the year. Um, mm -hmm. it, and it seemed like, you know, cause we went on a couple of fishing trips, which I don't remember that we right. went. Um, but right. my sister okay. said, you know, don't you remember the fishing trips? And, I don't. <laughs> right. I yeah. just don't remember this. So those had to have been in during the summer. Yeah. But the abuse had already started at that point. And so okay. um, to be with him, uh, in, you know, in this setting with my siblings. Yeah. I, I, um, I guess I just you know, I just blanked it out. I, I just don't remember. Right. Anything. Right. For sure. But I, so I think. And, and the reason I ask that is to try to help people understand a little bit of like what the process might look like. And, and, um, again, I, I, I thank you for sharing. Cause I know it's some of the stuff just doesn't exist and that's okay. Um, but it, it seems like it was a process, like a matter of months. Um, yeah, it was over a course of, I would say six months you know, yeah. to in total. Okay. Um, that the, the process, because, um, you know, with conversations lately, you know, I've kind of pieced together more of a timeline that, you know, it was pretty immediate that he landed when him and his wife landed in Denver that they got hooked up with my family. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. it was it was a very short time um, before that that happened. And then, um, you know, the grooming process started immediately. Right. He just and it seemed like um now, did he, do you, are you aware of, or did he abuse any of your siblings, or were you the only one that he picked out? Um, that is their story to tell. I'll okay. just leave it, leave it there. Fair enough. Um, and so this this process happened. What what kind of kid were you, 11, 12 years old, that you, you can recall prior to this happening? 
Um, very much of an introvert. Um, okay. very bashful. Um, speaking in meeting was painful. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah um, almost terrifying. Terrifying. Absolutely. Um, yeah. so I was very quiet. Um, and then, you know, with the, with the bringing, uh, being raised that children are to be seen and not heard and, you know, that mm-hmm. type of stuff, it just, I didn't have a voice. I mean, I just mm-hmm. didn't. And, you know, in the, in our family, there wasn't a, any, um, there wasn't any individual conversation with that. I remember with any of the kids, like, you know, right. we didn't, we didn't have any one-on-one conversations with either one of our parents. Right. Um, right. At least I didn't. Um, yeah. So, I, and, and thank you for sharing that as well. And I think, you know, I wonder if sometimes predators, I mean, it seems like they know how to pick their victims. Well, they know <laughs> there's just, there's just, this one won't speak up. Yep. Yep. And they know, <sighs> they know it. Yeah. And, and yeah, and they, you know, and the thing that, that I have thought about since, you know, I wrote my story and reading all these stories online, um, you know, I don't almost wonder if, you know, there are, there are elders that point these workers to different children. Um, you know, you know, I, this, this child is, could be vulnerable. This child is really super quiet and I don't know, man. It's just, it just, yeah, there, there's, there's something, you know, and let, let's, uh, We'll put that in the shiny object drawer for just a little bit down the, later in the interview here, because okay. I think there's something to kind of unpack there. I appreciate you you sharing that, because um, I've had some questions about that, and I think it wouldn't hurt to have a bit of a discussion. But uh, so, so just with with your your story, um, so that he would take you to work at the bank with mm-hmm. him. You'd kind of you'd watch him work or whatever, and then he would bring you back to the apartment. And uh, do you, do you have in your memory like any recollection of the first time going to his apartment at all? Yes, I definitely do. Um, yeah. And, and his wife was there as well. Okay. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what she did because <laughs> right. we, went in, we went in the bedroom to sleep, right? Well, it was more okay, than so, sleep. Um, right. So this was, was this framed as like a sleepover or something like that? Or? No, it was just, that's what he did when he worked all night. He came home and went to bed, went to sleep. Right. And I but just happened somehow- to be with him. And, and it was okay with, with her evidently that we slept in the same room, you know, uh, right. the, the apartment was small. Um, Fair. I yep. don't remember if it was more than one bedroom. I, I don't remember that, but the apartment was very small. So I'm assuming that it was a one bedroom. Um, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, of course, we can look, you know, and, and try to be careful of what sort of lens of hindsight I applied to it. Because, you know, 2023, we can sit here and say, like, you know, um, of course, this seems like red flag behavior. But mm. and I, I don't know. And, and you can share what you may or may not understand, whether his wife was complicit understanding or completely naive. Um, but to the brain of a person who isn't predatorial in nature. Some you're not even like looking for or thinking about this could happen, right? Uh, you know, there, uh, there was an experience where I was groomed and taken advantage of, not in a not in a, in a sexual manner, but in a different context. And I don't want to share too much because it's not this isn't about my story, but just just enough to say, um, 
when you're not looking for it, you probably won't see it because my brain didn't operate that way to think that this is what's happening. Yeah. And it took somebody else pointing out to me, Hey, there's something not right about what's happening in this situation here. Yep. And and at first I I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. And it took quite a while for me to accept the reality of the situation Mm -hmm. I found myself in. Yep. Yeah, that's very true. And so I, and so I don't know if you if you have any any understanding or any, any comment on whether you you know whether his wife understood was complicit or was entirely naive. Is, do you have any awareness of that? I, I don't. Um, I Fair didn't enough. at yeah. the time, other than the fact that she was an and she was an adult, and mm-hmm. it seemed like it was okay to her for her with her to for me to be in the bedroom with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only context that I really saw it as it was just another sure. adult that kind of made it seem all right. That uh, this is the right. thing. That- and, and so in particular, preying on a, like a male victim versus a female victim, maybe thinking that, well, this man's married to a woman, so he's heterosexual. So nothing would take place in a homosexual context. And yet that was, yeah, yeah I, I didn't even think of that. I mean, it's, yeah. Sex was not talked about in our home. Uh, right, of course. I had no, I had no clue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and, you know, your friends, your friends, your neighbor friends talk about stuff, and but right, it's still yeah. the reality of it. It, I mean, I, yeah, I didn't and, and, have and, any words for it. Right. Uh, so not only was it kind of in an era where it was, well, the, I mean, the sixties was maybe the start of like the free love revolution. Uh, I, I guess I'm a child of the eighties, so, you know, but yeah, like sixties like, and seventies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like there was an expanding consciousness and conversation around that, but you were still a child very much at this point. And so, you, you know, you might've been hearing some things, but in the home context and probably in the school or education context, it wasn't talked about either. Yeah. It was only like these sort of furtive conversations, you know, uh, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. So this is kind of the context. And so he, he brings you into the bedroom. That's, that's kind of where the, that is where um, the, the abuse took place. Um, after the first time that took place, do you have any memory? Like, did, were, did you like leave? Did you stay the night Did you, and then go home the next day? Or what was sort of the context there? If you recall? Well, it would have been early in the morning that we went, went to bed. Okay. Um, yep. And then when, when he woke up, he took me home. So it would have been, I don't know, noon, noon time or so. Right, right. Early afternoon. Yeah. And again, you know, this whole hindsight thing, it's, but it's just like, it seems strange that you're taking a kid to to work through the night and then like <laughs> everything everything about this seems odd to hear it now. I mean, again, I try to be careful Absolutely. about my lens of understanding, but I was like, surely something seemed odd about this. Like, w- you know, were you going to school and why would you go to work and then sleep half the day? Or maybe this was taking place over the summer. Well, or I, I think or... it was taking place over the summer. Otherwise my parents uh, wouldn't let me do it. Right. So maybe again, it was this, Oh, this is sort of this, a good learning experience. Cause he's going to go yeah. learn about how a bank works and things like right. that. And so mm-hmm. Herb's being such a good friend to him and, mm-hmm. uh, or like a mentor kind of figure or something like that. Yes. Um, and then, and then, uh, so, what was sort of the length of time that this uh, abuse uh, was carried out and how, how long did it go before it came to an end? Um, it was several months that it, it went for um, the number of times uh, I am not sure. Um, for sure. Yeah. The last, the last time it happened was, and it seemed like each time was more aggressive, more, there was an escalation. Um, yeah, there was definitely an escalation, more 
domineering. Um, and so th- the very last time it happened was, um, it was on a camping trip. I, I see it. I mean, I remember it as a camping trip and it might, might've been another fishing trip, but anyway, we did camp. Mm-hmm. We did stay mm-hmm. the night. Um, and rather than, you know, pitching a tent, we slept in the car. Um, he had a, an old Rambler with the seats folded down to, right, to where right. you can make a bed inside. And so that's where we slept. My brother was with us at the time. Um, but I was woke up in the middle of the night by him, um, mm-hmm. you know, halfway on top of me and his hands down my pants. And, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and so that was the last time I, I just avoided him at all costs. Um, yeah. like, although I still, had to see him in gospel meeting and convention and special meeting. And, and he was just so overt about it, you know, just so calloused. Um, and yeah. just, you know, every chance he got, he'd come real close and um, just Gro- molest you, grope you, feel you like. Yeah. He never really touched me, but he, he was just so um, like in your face about it. Right. Like, so- like I got away with this and nobody's going to do anything about it. And you're not going to tell anybody. And, right. you know, kind of keeping the intimidation, I guess you'd say, going right for okay. years, for years and yep. years, even, yeah, after, so not, not even just, after I was married. Wow. That's, that is, yeah, that's quite something to think about. And, and again, so pardon me, when, 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 when the abuse was like uh, taking place, I mean, you're you're probably aware that this this is wrong. Something about the situation is is wrong, and this I, I don't want this to happen. Absolutely, uh, but but I didn't know I didn't know what it was. I mean, right. So, first of all, you didn't have any words to vocalize. This is what's yeah. happening to me. No. And then secondly, um, there there's the fear. Like if you speak yeah. up, something bad is going to happen. Do you recall? Did he make threats to coerce you into silence? Never. No. Okay. He just, he just knew. And, and that, that, that is, um, I mean, that is what's going on with, with in the ministry today is they know they're not going to get caught. They know nobody's going to talk. Yeah. They know they can do whatever they want. And, you know, nobody's going to believe you because of who I am. Yeah. You know, it it might only be like, this year as things are blowing wide open that people right. are realizing, you know, okay. And, and, and I, I sure hope that if predators are paying attention, they recognize that we're coming for them. Like, and that we have no tolerance for them, but you know, Jonathan, I, I don't know. I think they're so, <laughs> I don't know yeah. what they are so convinced that they're never going to get caught. Oh, there's, there's a path pathological, like arrogance oh, or yeah, narcissism absolutely. connected to this. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, to, to be blunt, uh, I think I heard an expression recently that said something like, um, everything is about sex except for sex, which is about power. Yep. Now, uh, of course, we know there's a healthy context for, for a sexual relationship in, in, in like a healthy, committed relationship. But I mean, otherwise, like that, that's kind of this thing. And it's, it's, there's this, there's this power, this dominance you talked about, like, and he was, he, he you know, no, again, knowing that you're this sort of shy, introverted kid mm-hmm. and, and like, was he a particularly like larger, imposing figure or anything like that? Not or, at all. Just, no. Just he how was, he carried himself was just like there was this sort of self-assuredness that was like, yeah, you're not going to say a thing. Yeah, and I would 
you know, I would say just out in the general public, um, no, he wasn't, he wasn't a big man and, mm-hmm. um, he wasn't, you know, wasn't a flashy dresser. You know, he was very nondescript kind of like guy. Blended in, yeah. yeah. Blended yeah. in so well. Yeah. As many of them do. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I appreciate that detail too, because I think, uh, and why I ask that, um, for anybody who's listening, you might be thinking, why, why, why ask that question? Um, because sometimes there's some preconceived notions in and around what an abuser might look like or be mm-hmm. like or behave like and so on. And I think it's important to understand that, uh, really for lack of a better term, they come in all shapes and sizes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and it, it's, it's there, there's so much like an, a mental and emotional sort of component to it that goes far beyond any kind of just purely like physical domination here. Mm-hmm. And maybe there was like a strength and size differential when you were a kid, but, um, you, you know, the, and, and I guess I wonder, um, I don't know if you recall this or not. Did you ever try to fend off or fight, uh, fight the advances that you're, that you can recall or aware of? Like, um, um just the, the last time um, you were like, that's it. This is not yeah, happening I, again. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. Just said this, this is so wrong. And, um, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> no more. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, and I guess, like you said, your, your brother was there in, in the, in the setting or situation there. Was he aware, like, like did this happen like in the context of the actual abuse or was it afterwards, like the next day, next morning kind of thing where you said, this is never happening again. Um, well, in my mind that, that night I said, this yeah. is never happening again. And yeah. I told him verbally that this is wrong. Yeah. Um, and so he backed off. Um, mm. and I, I don't know to this day if, if my brother was aware of that, I don't know if he was awake. Right. I don't know so, if he witnessed that. Th- that's another interesting thing is if you, if you said to him like this, this is wrong and it stopped is that you, he recognized that oh, there's a slight risk here now. Mm-hmm. This kid's right. getting st- stronger and he might speak up. Right. But still he sort of carried on this kind of intimidation, intimidation yes. tactic where it was like, uh, the, the abuse is maybe too risky to continue, but like the coercion or the intimidation into remaining silent is what, what continued. Yes. And, and that yeah. gives, that also gives um, a pedophile a, a sense of power. They still have power over their victim, even though they're not actually in a physical act with them, they still can control them emotionally. Mm-mm. Because, because of the trauma, traumatic, like emotional damage that happens to yes. your developing brain at the time. Uh, Many people don't maybe don't realize the the male brain does not complete its adulthood development till approximately 28 years of age. Right. (laughs) At 12 years of age, you're not a fully grown, developed brain. There's so much more that's happening. But now it's like, you know, when when a car's been in a car accident, you can sort of pull out the dents and cover over the scratches. But like the damage Mm -hmm. is still there under the surface. Yes. And it's never going to be quite the same. The Bondo is covering it all up. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Um, (laughs) And so I, I guess I'm kind of curious that this is all kind of taking place in the context of the fellowship you'd professed, you'd been baptized. Um, did that change your perception about like God or the Bible or the fellowship? Um, it didn't change anything to do with God or the Bible or fellowship at the time. What it, what it did to me was that I can't trust people. And so mm. um, even to this day, um, to fully trust somebody um, is really hard for me. And, yeah. and especially men. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. if I'm looking for a doctor or a dentist or an eye doctor or whatever, I will look for a woman. 
uh, doctor. Yeah. Um, I yeah. just don't trust, I don't trust men and I don't have any close male friends. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I have, if I have a, if I have a good friendship with somebody, it's, it's usually a woman. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, again, that's, <coughs> pardon me. That's so important to share because we're talking, this is, I don't know what, 40, 50, 55 years later. Yeah. There's still this effect. Yep. And, 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 you know, so at a certain point in time, and I want to bring this one back too, but at a certain point in time, you decide, okay, I, I no longer want to be part of this, this fellowship. Um, and of course you've been traumatized. You've been traumatized by a male in this fellowship. This fellowship generally holds males in high regard and males in position of responsibility. So elders, workers, overseers, they're all held in this high regard. And so kind of face, even facing this hierarchy, um, was what happened to you in terms of abuse part of the reason why you also no longer wanted to be a part of this fellowship or what, what kind of pushed you out or, or caused you to say, I, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. So yes, it was, um, I guess not in anything specific about the abuse, but just the fact that I had met, um, a couple of people in the course of business that were just really, really good people, very honest, mm -hmm. lots of integrity, and to look at them through the lens of the truth that these people aren't saved and they don't have a future with God, I just couldn't see that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't see the exclusivity of this truth and this, this way being the only way to heaven and mm -hmm. the only way to salvation. I, I just couldn't see that anymore. Yeah. Um, and then we moved from Denver to Grand Junction and um, Grand Junction is very conservative and um I remember the very last meeting we were in, uh, my wife and I, um, we just came out after that meeting and got in the car and we both looked at each other and said, we can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was, so the me meeting was very judgmental in, in my view, in my opinion, mm -hmm. I mean, that's what I felt that morning. A number of testimonies were very, very judgmental and, um, pointed and yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, um, couldn't do that anymore. Yeah, it felt too 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 uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you mentioned your wife. Um, what would he? Because one of the things I also wanted to ask about is you, you, like the abuse had taken place kind of through your teen years and uh, going into like young adulthood and 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 whatnot. How, how was your socialization? Like, were you able to form friendships with boys of your same age going through the teenage years, or was that were you still remaining fairly shy and introverted? No, I had I had a number of friends professing guys from the Denver area. Um, mm -hmm. And and a lot of them were very good friends. Um, right. Yeah. They were all, you know, professing uh, in the meetings from professing families. And, mm -hmm. and then I had a lot of neighborhood friends, all boys. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. And got along with them very well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it's more, it's adult men because it was an yes. adult male that, that had abused you Correct. that really, um, much more difficult to to trust, but it seemed yeah. like people of your own your peer group at that time were the likelihood of them doing that to you was relatively small. Yes, absolutely. And and I was I was a big kid. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and so um, I did. I never feared for myself, um, even though I was super shy. I mean, I mm -hmm. you know I never got in any fights or anything like that. But I was you, just you, a big kid. I was kind of you in, grew into like a physical a, presence that yeah. you know you could. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, 
cut kind of going going forward here uh when was the first time you spoke up about what happened to you and how was uh, it received i i first spoke um up to my girlfriend which is was to become my wife um i was i mean she was probably 17 18 when i told mm-hmm. her yeah and she's actually the one that told my parents um okay yeah w- and, with your permission or no <laughs> oh okay <laughs> um um she is also a victim of abuse and um not mm-hmm. not to have to do with anyone in the truth but um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she suffered some abuse as well um extensive yeah. abuse actually um, so she was days, yeah she was um she just thought they should know um, because they didn't know who I was. They didn't know. Um, they didn't know why I had chosen, you know, a certain path in life that they didn't really like. And um, so she wanted them to know why. Yeah. And I'm glad they. I'm glad she did. Uh, and that would have been. Um, so I would have been eighteen, nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and was she was she professing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so she, she felt <clears throat> there's a need to, a need, a need to tell them about this. And you mentioned the path in life you had chosen. Um, what path was that that your parents might not have been happy about? Just not being uh, super professing. <laughs> <laughs> not playing by the rules. Yeah. You know, missing gospel meetings and missing special meetings and not going to Wednesday night meeting. Um, yeah. Still went to Sunday morning meeting and some gospel meetings, but just not real, uh, I guess, riding the fence, which is right. what they weren't um, too excited about. Mm-hmm. And they thought it was her influence, <laughs> which, oh, it, okay. which it wasn't. Mm-hmm. No, but then she spoke up and, and said, mm-hmm. this this is why he is probably avoiding being a part of this this fellowship, because again, yeah. there's, there's there's been serious, serious damage done. And uh, when when your parents heard about it, how did they how did they respond? Um, well, talking to my mom just recently after I wrote my story, um, she said that her and dad, dad came home from work and she told him and, um, they just kind of looked at each other and said, now what do we do? And that was it. Nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, how long ago was it that, uh, her passed away? Uh, 2022 years ago. Okay. So 21. 21. Yeah. And, and are you aware, like, was he a member of the, the fellowship uh, or, or like, did, did any further stories come to light or was he a full member of the fellowship until he passed away? He was a full member of the fellowship actually had meeting in his home, a Wednesday night meeting. And yeah. Um, yeah. And we, we didn't live in Denver. We had moved up north, co- northern Colorado, and so my mom had called me and said that um, her was going to get Leslie was going to put a meeting in her and Dorothy's home, a Wednesday night meeting. And so, um, you know, I I wasn't going to do anything about it, but she was, and so she talked to Leslie, and and Leslie had him write me an apology letter, which turned out to be. Um, kind of a slap in the face. Um, yeah, no kidding. 
And so since he wrote the apology letter, he was able to have Wednesday meeting in his home. And so, you know, we have a predator covering for a predator. Yeah. Um, and f- f- for those who, who aren't aware, Leslie White is a, is a terrible, horrific predator. Yes. yes. And at this point, he's the overseer of Colorado. And so it's like, <laughs> you know, just just tell him, you know, I don't know. I have no idea how the conversation went, but I just, you know, just write an yeah. apology letter and everything's going to be OK. Yeah. Well, of course, it's OK in his light because he's a blinking predator who's still alive to this day. Yes. Yes. Um, yes, he is. And so did his apology letter, Herb's apology letter, like acknowledge that like, Hey, I did something inappropriate with you. Do you, do you recall? Uh... I'm sorry for anything that happened between us. Wow. Yeah. Just let's, let's completely minimize what took place. Yeah. And you could read that. You could read that a hundred different ways, you know, like, yeah. You know, I ran into your car five years ago. I'm sorry about that. You know, it's kind of, kind of yeah. that thing, you know? So, uh, and uh, what time did, or how many years ago did this apology letter come out? This was in 2011, approximately. Uh, and then, and then he gets a a, a meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with with uh, you know little or no concern about whatever children would be going to that home. Um, yeah, for meeting. I, I, you know, and at this point in time, like 2011, like. This stuff wasn't a secret even even back then. No. And this is the part that gets me kind of fired up. So I'm like, there are people who knew. There are people who knew and did nothing. In fact, nothing. they did worse than nothing. They let it keep happening. And they yep. created conditions where this could keep happening. You know, That's where I get pissed yep. off. <laughs> like, yep. um, I got two young boys. And yeah. I'll be damned if, if, if anyone, you know, I, I'm going to do everything I can to keep them safe. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And we did the same thing with our children too. There was, you know, we were hyper, hyper aware of any possibility that would put them at risk. Yeah. Yeah. So it was covered up. It was covered up by multiple overseers. When it was brought mm-hmm. to their attention, they did nothing about it. Um, yeah. When it came time to put a meeting in his home, your mom did try to speak up. She felt like, like somebody needs to know this, this isn't right. Um, mm-hmm. But so your parents first heard about it pardon me in um what would that be about 1976 1975 thereabouts yes correct yep yeah and and they they weren't sure what to do and of course right back then again we're still talking no internet people wrote letters and made phone calls that was communication communication wasn't widespread plus mm-hmm. it was like protect the image and so what do we yeah. do because if we if this becomes public or we take it to the courts of men or things like that that and, yeah. and and so i don't i don't want to be too harsh in my judgment in one sense because i understand you know in one sense i understand the kind of the conditioning that they had been raised in and under but in the same token i'm uh, you know i go like why 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 could it not have been seen as wrong then well, it it was seen as wrong. It was oh, yeah. It was a secret, and so right. You know, oh. the the truth is great at hiding secrets. And yeah, and, that's why that's why I don't call it that. <laughs> I call it the fellowship. <laughs> well, yeah, and I call it the truth in quotes. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. right, and 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 th- this yeah. is the part that again, like it just it it frustrates me, and and i said it a couple of times, but I try, I try to be thoughtful about the, the level of judgment I apply to past generations based on their conditioning and, 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 and the lens of hindsight. Yes, it is. It is 2020, but it, it, you know, if you're trying to follow what the Bible teaches, what part of this seems like we should keep this a secret. Yeah. We should not protect little children. Yeah. What part of that? It, 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 it's so clear. It, it's, yeah. it's crystal clear. 
Yeah. Yeah. But this, this whole, this whole system is set up to, to perpetrate this kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, yeah, you, you've probably spent, uh, I shouldn't assume, I guess, but I just, I wonder, like, have have you spent a number of years kind of as you, or, or let's take one step back. Were you able to start on a healing journey? And if so, what was helpful for you to, to begin healing? So I started on my healing journey when I left the meetings in 2004. Okay. So it's been nearly 20 years of, yeah. of looking everywhere um, for, for healing, for trying to, because my life took a direction that wasn't me. Um, I mm-hmm. overcompensated for feeling vulnerable. I overcompensated for having someone take advantage of me. And I had vowed to myself that that would never happen again. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I overcompensated. I, I was, I never was a competing bodybuilder, but I lifted weights constantly. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got in the construction field where the rough and tumble guys worked, you know, in my mind and, and uh, rode Harleys and rode or drove pickups and, you know, loud cars and all that stuff that, I thought, you know, was manly. And um, so, you know, nearly 20 years and I finally figured out uh, who I really am is, you know, I'm, I'm an empath. I'm, I'm an artist. I'm a potter. I'm, you know, I'm not that tough guy at all. You know, that's okay. I mean, that's who I am. It is so funny that you mentioned that. Um. I'm very similar in that regard. Yeah. Uh, I, I've, I've been through trauma. Again, I don't want to thought about my story this time around, but just to say that I've been through trauma and there's a lot of hyper-masculine behavior to compensate, mm-hmm. whether it was racing Absolutely. fast motorcycles, yep. loud music, lifting heavy weights, yep. being a power lifter. Like, yep. um, and it turns out I'm an empath and yep. <laughs> I'm a huge teddy bear, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's me and, too. and yeah. It's it's incredible to think, and so from the time that the abuse ended until two thousand four spans all oh, what thirty over over three decades. Yeah, f- uh, forty years. Carrying carrying that weight with you, mm-hmm. yeah, and kind of not sure what to do with it. Uh, what, what was what was that kind of the point that you said I have to do something about this? What was kind of the tipping point for you? Well, I guess the 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 major tipping point was on July 27th this year (laughs) when, when my sister told me about these Facebook pages and, and I started reading these stories and, um, you know, looked at Lauren and Jerry and Cynthia's lives and their stories. And, and I mean, wow, I, I just knew at that moment, um, that I had to write my story. Mm-hmm. I had to get, <clears throat> yeah, I had to get the secret out because the, the, the secret the secret was affecting me in every aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. And and so the freedom really has come since my story was published on August 3rd. And the freedom 
the freedom from that has been incredible. It's, it's kind of like, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's kind of like having this, there's like a poisonous like sliver stuck kind of inside of you. And it's, it's, just, a, it's just circulating, it's affecting you and you, you pull that out. And you begin to heal. Yeah. <clears throat> and writing, writing your story, making that public, naming names, getting it out there so there's nothing else to hide, um, begins a healing process. Yeah. When you when you begin to recognize and and openly accept, you know, I I, I think it was in the movie Goodwill Hunting. I don't know if you saw that one back in nineteen ninety seven yeah. with Matt oh. Damon and uh, some other guy. I'm not good with celebrities <laughs> and stuff like that, but I just remember a scene in the movie. Someone who was watching can can comment below in the, in the comments. But uh, the, the the therapist is saying to this this boy, like, or this this young man, like, it's not your fault, and he kept repeating, it's not your fault until like the anger broke down or the anger, the walls of anger kind of broke down and became tears. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not your fault. You didn't ask for this. You didn't choose this. You weren't given the tools to even navigate this. Like none of us are really prepared to navigate this. And so we, we, we hide our secrets and shame thinking if people see like who I truly am, if they know what's going to happen, yeah. you know, what happened to me, they're just, they're going to reject me. They're going to look at me, you know, in disparaging ways and things. And uh, I'm so grateful. There's like this environment where, where now stories are, are met with like compassion and a desire to contribute to healing instead right. of, you know, and, and maybe there's still denigration. There are those who, who are out there who feel like these stories are, are just like damaging the reputation of this fellowship. These stories aren't damaging the reputation of this fellowship. No. It's these predators that have done almost irreparable damage to it. Yes. If you want to be angry at somebody, be angry at every single predator who right. harmed an innocent human being, right. particularly children. That is the the worst of the worst of crimes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and and I've been, it's been fifty five years, and and nobody has ever from this fellowship has ever reached out to me, ever to see how I was doing, and you know, I've I've known through email these ladies and advocates. And I mean, I've received such amazing emails from Lauren. Mm -hmm. um, just, they just pop up that, Hey, I'm thinking about you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just, just knowing that, that somebody, that somebody understands. <clears throat> and yeah. uh, I, I bet I'm willing to bet that the parable of the good Samaritan <laughs> has been spoken of by a lot of good, honest people who know this is absolutely terrible what has taken place. Yes. And and there's this moment of understanding, like we forgot, we forgot the wounding and the bleeding and the bleeding in the ditch. Yeah. We forgot about them. We forgot about the most important thing. Um, and I actually don't know where your beliefs are. I don't know if you still are a Christian or a Bible believer or where you stand on that. And it doesn't matter to me, but I mean, you're welcome to share where you're, where you're at in your spiritual journey. And um, I, I believe there is, there is a higher being, um, mm -hmm. you know, God, um, the, the, the word God is, is, um, it's not a comforting word to me today, um, because mm -hmm. of all the things that are done and said in God's name. Mm -hmm. Um, so I believe in, in a higher being, um, the universe creator, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, but yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I, I just think that this this world and this creation and the creation of nature and and human beings, uh, there's just got to be a a higher being in control of it yeah. somewhere. Absolutely, and I can understand, and, and I appreciate even sharing that. That the, the name of God isn't very comforting to you because the name of God was used, you know, yes. in ways against you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I hope you don't mind saying this, but I, I can, I, I feel a sense of assurance that, um, you know, God himself is also angry at those who use his name to perpetrate these things. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, is not offended by you saying, I feel, I feel pain around that name because mm-hmm. of how it was used against me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think the, the good Samaritan in the Bible, it talks about um, <clears throat> the most important thing is love your neighbor as you know, love God first and then love your neighbor as yourself and everything yes. else, everything else hangs on those two things. Yes. And if you don't do those, if, you, if, if that's not the foundation, there's nothing there. Right. And so the emph- this, this like emphasis on form and appearance and looking a certain way creates the cover for, yeah. creates the cover for predators. You know, I, I said the thing that we put in the shiny objects drawer, you know, um, you feel like there's, I, I've wondered like, is there, is there somehow like a ring of predators who somehow secretly communicate with each other or something like that? Because I believe how there is. is. I believe there how, is. Yeah. The stats are, and these are not verified stats. I can't, I can't speak with absolute veracity. This is 100% truth. I want to preface this, but what I can say is from the statistics that we have seen and come to understand, it's in the neighborhood of approximately one in six workers is an abuser. So yeah. that's about three times worse than the Catholic church. Cause it's about one in 17, one in 18 priests who's been, mm-hmm. you know, and those stats one in six might be underestimating. And that's why I say we can't verify this because they could, they could be far worse and we don't know, but that's where we're at right now. We're, you know, and, and it takes years for all of this to come out. And this is only starting to come out. Just right. like we, we think about what happened to you and how many years it was before, like it first came out to a couple of close people to you, this had taken place and how many, you know, it takes so many years for, for um, victims and survivors to come forward and share their story. And that's what makes it so difficult to, we could be finding out 10 years, 15, 20 years later, still, more stories coming out because it takes that long for, for survivors. And I really hope that we are creating the conditions where survivors feel like they can come forward with their stories, but I hope so. Uh, I, I just hope so. And yeah, yeah. I was in the last, and, and before I head back over to you, I was just going to say it's about one in 10 elders that we, that we have estimated. Again, these are not verified, but it's, we know that those who are predators are attracted to positions of power and authority. Yep. And when this fellowship elevates those people that, that hold that status and assumes or presumes a higher level of godliness and spirituality because of the position that they hold, they use that as cover for their evil deeds. Yes. And so I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, you mentioned, you know, what, what you feel like this, this whole system or hierarchy, it's kind of like the perfect breeding grounds for, for abusers and perpetrators. Yeah, I'm the, the way the way this fellowship is designed. Um, you know, the workers are above all. Uh, the workers mm-hmm. are, you know, what they say is what you do. They they stay in people's homes. They have access to children all the time. Um, mm-hmm. People give them carte blanche with their children. Um, just because you're a worker, I mean, you can take the kids camping. You can take the kids on a picnic, you can take kids fishing. Mm-hmm. 
um, yeah, it's, it's set up perfect for the workers to groom the parents to get to their children. And that's exactly what happened to me. I mean, that Herb Erickson sat at my parents' dinner table, ate their food, enjoyed their fellowship, enjoyed their generosity, and then abused their children. Mm-hmm. And that happens a lot, way more than than any of us know at the at this moment. And I hope it yeah. continues to come forward. 100%. Yeah. And so we don't know, but it's it's are there these groups of people, these secret communications where, you know, I, I, like I wonder, and this is pure speculation, but I wonder, is there a ring? Is there some kind of pedophile ring? Is there a way that they communicate with each other? Because how is this so bad? How you is know? it so prevalent? How is it, you know, yep. uh, have we just discovered, are we, are we just uncovering literally the tip of the iceberg? I think we have so far, yes. Yeah. And, and it's just not the male workers either. There's, you know, there's, mm. uh, it's coming forward now that there's some, some women that are involved in this as well. Uh, absolutely. And, and I think uh, again, maybe, maybe this is, I don't know, maybe people go in the ministry because they think this will help them. Maybe some people have a start out with like this awareness of like, I have these tendencies and maybe if I become a, a worker or a minister of the gospel, somehow that'll correct these tendencies. There could be some elements of that, or they're purely pathological people. <clears throat> I think and, there's and probably just, some of both. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that it's, it's, it's so cut and dry because I, I want to be careful to apply the pathological label to everyone. But then also the the system. Does the system create or incubate predators? Definitely incubates them. Somebody that may not have those tendencies or maybe have the tendencies, and like you said, go in the work to that they think they can you know, be safe from them to be isolated from them only to find out that this is a perfect place for them to perpetrate their, their fantasies mm-hmm. because they're with children all the time. Yeah. And then, then yeah. they get a place of power and they become an overseer. And then who's going to, who's going to believe them? Who's going to believe the victims? Yeah. And what, and what we've seen in recent months is like overseers doing what we call placating. Mm-hmm. Let's so I'll, I'll use this analogy. <clears throat> I've seen build because you were in the building business. I've seen builders advertise that we we make all our buildings up to code. <laughs> I'm like, of course. <laughs> I'm like, first off, code is the minimum safe standard. That is the minimum. Yes. Like you're bragging that we do the bare minimum. <laughs> if you say we go up to code, are you telling me that you would do less than that if you could? Yes, they you would. Know? And so when we see workers implementing policies, first off, we're, we're practically arm dragging them and being like, you have to do this. And, and there's very few that are like um, passionately stepping forward and saying, we must do this. It's, they're all being dragged with their arm twisted behind their back saying, we are not going to shut up. We are not going to stop talking about this. We are not going to cover you. We are not going to support you. We will not be silent in the face of this evil and allow you to cover. And yet, it's like, why is it such a fight? Yeah, <laughs> why I is agree. it such a fight? Yeah, and and it's because they they've all kind of been conditioned, indoctrinated, incubated, whatever. It's like you are not protecting anything except predators. When you fail to fight and and, and try to root this out. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> yeah, 
predators and maybe themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't mean to hijack your story when I get a little bit fired up either. Um, but I, I just, I get so frustrated by all of this as well. Um, and yet, you know, I think as a Christian, I still, I still like the idea of what this was supposed to be. I'm like, I, I think, you know, but I hate what it's become. Yes. If I could put it that way, I hate what it's become. I agree. Because this is not what God intended. Well, Dale, I want to say thank you so much for your your honesty, for, for your sharing. And thank you for letting me not letting me rant a little bit in, in your story. Um, I do have I do have just one more thing to tell you. Um please do. It's kind of it's a silver lining in all this. Um <clears throat> about a month ago, um we were moving from Colorado to Wisconsin. And so it was a, a week before we were to actually leave. Um, the daughter of my abuser contacted me and um, invited us, my wife and I, out to dinner to meet. Um, <clears throat> and boy, that was, um, it's like, whoa, I don't know if I'm ready for this. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but we did go. And, um, and met her and her husband and um, we're at the restaurant for, I don't know, three hours. Um, and then I'm also a potter. And so I make functional pottery. Mm -hmm. And so the next day um, my wife just suggested, you know, maybe uh, Alan and Susie would like to come over and pick out some pottery since we're leaving the state, they'll have a piece of you. Um, so they did, and they brought their two boys, and um, Taylor, their oldest boy, his wife um, also. And, I mean, it was, it's been fabulous. <laughs> um, and it's, it's been a healing process uh, for both of us, for, for Susie, for her family, and for me as well, um, mm -hmm. to be able to connect and to, I don't know, have this thing in common. It just seems, um, yeah. It's hard to explain, but it's been a uh, fabulous journey. That's beautiful, and I think about not 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 putting the sins of the father on the children. Yep. And I think you've also and thank you thank you for interrupting me and thank you for sharing that. Um, I think about what it would be like to be a child or the, the child of an abuser. And whether or not they were abused or not, but to learn that, and maybe, and I don't know the story, and it's not my, it's, you know, it's not our story to tell, right. but to learn, to learn if you didn't know, my dad was a monster. Yeah. Well, that's what they're and learning. Then, yeah. Right, and then and then to be on the receiving end of vitriol because of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and say, well, we maybe we could do something. And uh, I imagine there's probably tears. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's been a, um, it's been great. I, um, I can now really relate to, to Sherry and Lauren too. I mean, it's kind of the same um, mm -hmm. situation of having this abuser in common. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's so hard to explain, but the, the peace and the, the freedom and the healing that has come of it is, is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i, I kind of just want to almost have like a little pause just to acknowledge that 
the, the the beauty of that. I'm so grateful that you've you've shared that, and it, I think it's so wonderful to hear for other people to hear and be encouraged by. <clears throat> and so, just as as we as we close out, I wanna I wanna just give you the opportunity to share anything you would like to share, any words of wisdom, words of encouragement. Um, what if someone's listening to this conversation today, regardless of their whether they're in in out whatever. Um, what would you like them to maybe take away from this? Well, for parents and grandparents, um, just be careful with your children and your grandchildren. Um, make sure that you don't put them in harm's way. Um, even if you think the, the workers in your field or the workers that you know are good and honorable people. Um, right now, I wouldn't trust that. Mm -hmm. For for those of you that are um, victims and survivors, if you haven't told your story, please, please do. There is healing in it. And collectively, if we join our voices, change will happen. Mm -hmm. mm, thank you. Yeah, it's been emotional. I feel it too. <laughs> I'm an empath. And, uh, you know, if you'd accept a hug from me, if I ever meet you in person, I'd give you one. I would give you <laughs> one too. Thank you. Thank you for, for sharing your story. Thank you for being an encouragement for, for so many others. And uh, I, I sure hope this isn't our, our last conversation. I hope not. Thank, you, Thank so you so much for tuning into The Hidden Truth. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. It is so important that these stories are heard so that we continue to raise awareness and support victim survivors in their healing journey. For those who have been affected but haven't found your voice yet, I hope these stories inspire you to keep moving forward on your healing journey. Take care. <laughs>